Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Those Good Old Fashioned Values, the first and hopefully last Family Guy analysis podcast on the internet. Uh, I'm your host, Spencer, a.k.a. The Lonely Photon. I am joined, as always, by Andy, a.k.a. X underscore Narco Anon on Twitter. Yo. And Ty, a.k.a. at Bobo underscore Circus. Hey, what's up? And special guest, uh, returning champion this week, Felix Biederman of Chapo Trap House, and this is Sus, here to talk about first half of season 10, the... Uh, weirdest season of Family Guy there probably is. Yeah. Felix, um, when I was doing this and when I was like making the guest list, I knew season 10 was the one I was going to have you on for because you talk about a certain character from this season a lot, Jeffrey Fiekelman. The Jeffrey Fiekelman episode, I think, is very important to Family Guy because, I don't know, like this season, I imagine you guys have more thoughts about it, but it's very postmodern. But Jeffrey Fiegelman is weird. I wouldn't really call it a return to form, but it's like, it's a weirdly serious storyline and portends a lot of things to come in Family Guy, I feel like. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. I think, yeah, there is definitely, I don't know, we'll talk about it more in the back half, but it's, it, there is a weird, like, ambition for some episodes, but not as strong yeah. as, like, uh, I would say seasons eight or nine had better, more narrative-focused episodes than this, but... The episode that we just released, I, I kind of, um, we talked about, you know, Brian and Stewie that episode, and I was kind of hoping that the show would go in like a, you know, it, it's run its course, I was hoping it would go in a bit of a darker direction, but after watching this uh, season, especially the shotgun blast to the face that is the second and third episode. Oh god, the second episode. Um, I regret saying well, that. Uh, I, I'm just going to say this now, because this is something that was ringing in my head. The difference, I think, between this and, and sort of Brian Stewie and more of the other like episodes we liked from the past two seasons is, like, those episodes, I felt like, while they were also darker, a big reason why they also worked is that they played with Family Guy's format and structure more. Whereas I feel like a big problem with a lot of this, like, more serious episodes this season, which there are a couple, is that even when they had, like... Good jokes, because I think this season has, I would say, better joke writing than, like, maybe the past two seasons. It feels mm. chained to the network TV Family Guy format more than previous seasons has. That's, I think, the big difference. I would I would argue that that's not always the case. Like, whatever, and we'll talk about it in the back half, but Seahorse Seashell parties, like, again, you know, postmodern, like, one of the trippiest episodes, maybe, of any, you know, mainstream cartoon. We'll, we'll talk ever, about but, that. Yeah, we'll Because most of, I, I have some things on this. Anyway. The three of us, we've been watching the show, what is it, like, sequentially? Two months? And we're... Building up to this, but Felix, who was just kind of dropped into this, I don't know if any of you listening have heard the Patreon episode, but uh, he was just kind of dropped into this. So what what was your reaction to just jumping straight into season 10 of Family Guy? Um, I It made me kind of want to watch like season 9 a little bit more because it's shocking. It, and I say that as someone who hasn't reacquainted himself with the Family Guy as much. Like, right. you know, I talked about it on the Patreon episode. Like, me and my brother would watch a lot of Family Guy when we were really young. Like, when I was, yeah, about, like, 10 or 11. And he was, like, just about entering his first year of college. And it was it was a cool show for me because a lot of Simpsons shit went over my head. Like, I was a really young kid during the golden age of the Simpsons. And a lot of that stuff is really It's really difficult for very young children to pick up on the joke writing is so tight and the yeah. episodes are so tight that it doesn't matter it's still like your favorite show to watch it's still the best when you're that the, age the cadences it, and stuff yeah it, the golden age yeah. is still the greatest of all time it still holds up but it's obviously better to watch as an adult because there's so much more that you pick up on 
But Family Guy was like it was like it was a cheat sheet because the cutaways and all the references were a little more current in your face and in your face and middle brow that it was like this happy medium where I got everything. Like when I was like eight, I would watch it with my family. They'd be like, you don't get that joke. And it's like you just laugh because other people are laughing. And when I would watch it, like Family Guy was like, yeah, I fucking got everything. But I can see where season 10, it departs from that original formula of Dumb Dan Simpsons. It becomes its own very fucked up thing. <laughs> very weird thing. Like, yeah. and, and the, mo- the most like recent Family Guy episode I watched before this, just out of curiosity, was the Donald Trump episode. And it's oh the most in- insane shit I've ever fucking yeah. seen in my life. I, I forget who tweeted this, but um, I saw a tweet that perfectly summarizes like season 10 and the show going forward, which is half the jokes are hackneyed sitcom jokes, and the other half are like, hey, did you know that Peter Griffin's been a pedophile for the past 20 years? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, th- this is where... So when the reason why I did this podcast and the reason why I got so into Family Guy wasn't because of the earlier seasons where the show was honestly kind of good, but stuff like this... Where, like, you're just kind of left, like, confused and upset by half the things that happen. Yeah. I watched a bunch of these episodes with my friends to, you know, prepare for this episode. And, like, we didn't laugh as much as we did kind of, like, nervously look at each other. (laughs) No, Um, and and, and that's something, like, ever since the new showrunners came in in season eight, like, there has been an uptick for sure in, like, that kind of uncomfortable gross-out humor. I think that this season is, like, that. that is kind of what this season is built on, is, like, the idea of, like, you know, and we've talked about it before, like, oh, we can't get canceled, you know, they brought us back after they canceled us because people like this too much, and I really feel like this is, like, the first season where they're kind of, like, how much can we get away with, and, like... I know we said that the past two seasons, but this time, boy, do we really mean that. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. It, it is, and, and, I mean, every episode has, like, one of those weird kind of uncomfortable gags like to a degree that i don't think any season before really maybe season nine dipped into a bit but but i also think a thing that that is different and the reason why i think this season is a bit funnier than the previous season or previous two maybe is because i think this season while its episode structure like isn't great and obviously goes for a lot of big like a grab your attention jokes there's a lot of like good little dialogue bits in this, like, I think the example I'll talk to you is in the Thanksgiving episode, the Adam West, that's a great ass bit. Carol, it's so good to see you. You too, Lois. God, that is one nice ass. Thank you. You're welcome. It's it's a very small, like, little thing, but it, it got me. And there's a lot of, like, not necessarily clever, but at least, like, more low-key jokes this season, right. I think. And there's a good, there's a good mixture of jokes. I, I noticed that last season that Stewie's role was to provide these kind of little asides that, like, called attention to the show, like, you know, what it was doing, how ridiculous it was. Right. And it feels like, like, half the characters start doing that this season. They just, like, remark upon something, like, very quietly to themselves and it goes unacknowledged. Something else I noticed about Stewie this season that I noticed, you know, we usually talk about character stuff in the first half. There's not really that much, but one thing I have noticed about Stewie, and I didn't know if it was necessarily as big in the first two seasons, is we talk about how, like, early Stewie was, like, an evil mad scientist, and now more modern Stewie's, like, a gay, like, jokester guy. But this era is sort of bringing a callback to earlier Stewie, and that seasons one through three, there were also a lot of jokes of, like, Stewie still has the perspective of a baby, but makes him the adult stuff. And then that kind of went away through, like, came back from cancellation. But there's a lot more, like, Stewie as a kid jokes, and acts like a kid jokes this season, I noticed. 
Yeah. I mean, th- that has been a thing, I think, since maybe at least season six or seven, like, kind of coming back to the idea of, like, and they do it with Brian, too, as a dog, but, like, coming back to the idea of, like, oh, you know, the tension between Stewie as a genius and Stewie as a kid, you know, can we wring jokes out of that? I, I would agree that I think I think it has increased, but I, I don't think this is, like, it came out of, I don't think it came out of the blue for me in this season. One thing I wanted to mention for this half of the season, at least, is that last season I mentioned that it kind of works because there's a lot of really cool high-concept episodes right. that, like, you know, even if they're not well done... They're swinging, yeah. It's at least, like, interesting enough to hold your attention. This show kind of goes back to very, like, more classic kind of sitcom-y plots, like Carter Retires or Meg Turns 18 or... And obviously there's the two that we'll get to in the back half, but, like, a lot of this is just, like... Uh, the family wins the lottery type stuff. Very simple stuff that feels like they just, like, threw any random idea at the dartboard. No, I, I noticed that, too. The the plots, they, they felt kind of lifeless this season. Like, we can argue whether or not the joke writing is better this season. I think they had some good jokes. I think it was generally stronger in, like, season 8 and 9. But the plots, it seems like they, they like, did not try at all. It was literally, like, first all first yeah. draft stuff. Lifeless is a great way to put it, because I was always trying to, like, why I felt despair at the idea of watching like 20 episodes in a week and that's it that's it yeah it's like why is the simpsons bad now it's not that it's the worst fucking joke writing on television it's not it's far from that like a lot of those original guys are still there and I'm sure if you watch just some random you know season fucking 25 episode of the simpsons you'll find some well-written jokes in there just like you'll find in here it's the fact that they can neither marry themselves to the idea that the conceit itself is a joke that it being like a fucked up sitcom is a joke but they can't totally get rid of it so you're stuck in this weird lukewarm region where they engage in sitcom tropes and boundaries whether they feel like it or not the result is this completely ephemeral it's like walking in real in mud that gives a lot Making it through <laughs> through this episode, these episodes. Yeah, and and that's not to say there aren't the more sort of adventurous episodes this season. Like uh, you got Cool Hand Peter, which is like the adventure episode, and you got Back to the Pilot, which is the big Brian and Stewie sci-fi episode for this season. But even like while I don't necessarily hate those episodes, I do agree that they do kind of they fit into a formula for for like oh hey Peter and John the gang are going on an adventure or. Oh, hey, time travel shenanigans. It, it feels kind of like Simpsons Season 9, where it's not, like, just completely over the hill, but it really does feel like they're simultaneously, like, spinning their wheels and also, like, really reaching for new stuff to do. It's like, what if the what if the Griffins, uh, I don't know, went to jail? And, yeah. One episode in particular gave me very strong Principal and the Popper vibes, and we'll talk about that. Yeah, well, um, they're in that yeah. kind of valley between, like, you know, they, they know that they don't have to fight to survive, but also they're not at the point where they're just, like, bored of making the show yet. So it's like, the whole thing, they're just going through the motions, basically. I think it's also yeah. probably that, like, I don't, I don't have any evidence for this, but maybe, like, uh, especially with the, the prominence of the season was... Uh, 2011 to 2012, this is when digital distribution, like, cable obviously has been big for a while, but you start getting, like, Netflix original start creeping up, and HBO starts getting, not necessarily more into prestige TV, but right. more back into, like, high concept. This is around the start of Game of Thrones and Breaking Bad and stuff, so, yeah. like... 
That's a good point. Maybe censors are a bit looser, so they kind of just, like, feel like, okay, we can write safer plots, but our jokes can be more out there. Yeah, or, and I mean, Mm. with that context, like, I did not even think about that. Maybe they were literally just like, okay, we can't lose our audience to this stuff. I mean, that, so, like, you know, we have to, we have to find some way to, you know, kind of go back to form, but also make it interesting, and that kind of, like, whole confusion. I don't know, but that is... This is definitely a stronger sitcom season they've had in a while. I wanted to bring up a uh, character development since, you know, we're, we're far past the point where the characters are, like, really developing right. like they were in the first couple seasons. But one thing I um, I would characterize the show to people when I was, like, pitching them on it, basically, is that all the characters hate each other. All of them are miserable. They almost feel like they hate being in a cartoon. Right. And that gets really strong here. Like, the just sheer the characters themselves feel like kind of just like done with everything especially lois who almost winds up being like the straight man because she's just so resigned to just all this bullshit happening around her yeah Mm -hmm. i don't know if you guys have been noticing like a vibe in the world that's like everything just kind of sucks lately but this i mean yeah this whole season everyone just feels like like even the characters are like okay i guess we have to do this yeah, everything yeah. kind of yeah. sucks l- lately. Retroactively affecting eight things eight or nine years ago. Yeah, but I mean, uh, but I mean, yeah. and art, whatever art is subjective. Like you come into it with whatever you know frame of mind you're in. But no, everything just sucks yeah. right now. And I think it was the perfect time to watch this season. I no, yeah. So why does everything suck now? At least culturally, or like I'll use a very broad definition of culture. Culture is in you know movies, books, blah blah blah. But also like the posts we read. Everything sucks because nothing begins or ends, uh, and we're just stuck with the same shit forever. Nothing has actually progressed uh, or even regressed to a previous time. We've just been playing with the same dirty Play-Doh for about 15 years. Uh, That's what this season felt like. Yeah. I meant this week in particular, but no, I think broadly that is true. I think also something else that just occurred to me is... um, I'm pretty sure this is around the time Ted is really around the production, and Seth MacFarlane also has two other shows he's, he's helping work on and the crew work on at right. the same time. So they're probably stretched very thin. This is around the time MacFarlane started going on, like, real time, too, right? Maybe? Yeah. yeah. I, I, we might have to watch it as a bonus episode someday, but uh, the MacFarlane Oscars. Like, this is very much when he starts drinking a lot of his own Kool-Aid. I, I remember listening to McFarlane on Loveline as a kid when Family Guy was, it was like when it was on TV, um, it might have been right after it got canceled, but there was that huge campaign and he was like, he was like the young, sort of the voice of younger Xers and shit. And also like, I guess older millennials at the time. Right. It's kind of, it straddles the line. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, um, he had a lot of cultural purchase. And I remember how bitterly he described not having any sex in college. And so McFarlane in this 2011 period and now, it really makes me think of that McFarlane. That what he became. Yeah. Because what he became is so fucking weird. Like, he, he he's like a celebrity from the 50s. He's not like a showrunner today. Showrunners today, they're, I think of like Chuck Lorre. Like, they're just some pompous right. Hollywood yes. fucking cunt who has, like, just a boilerplate of liberal causes, yeah. and they, they have, They grew like, up a, in a vat of milk. Yeah. They grew up in a... Yes, exactly. And they have, like... They have some, like, bullshit pet project. Like, they take inner-city school kids to, like, whale watch once a year or some shit. They have this, like, 
bullshit like palisades crunchy liberalism but they're just like they were friends with brian Singer and everything <laughs> they pretend to have this wisdom about life because they write about families they're all monsters i've learned a lot about all these guys uh through doing this is sus but mcfarland is different he wants to like do the job that these guys do but he also wants to like do his own literal song and dance in public he right. wants to be like celebrity producer like you would be you know 60 years ago and it's very interesting to me and i have to go back and listen to that love line because i think you could divine a lot of uh mcfarland's current public persona out of that yeah he, he wants to be like frank sinatra basically yes. or and, i mean and he makes it very clear yeah like because he he does like love those people and especially when he had like a hand on the wheel like you saw you know slipping in references to gene kelly seth mcfarland is really like He's a man at a time, and and I think yeah. that it's kind of, I mean, really, it's kind of a tragedy when you get down to it, the idea of, like, this is a kind of guy who could have existed, you know, and, and he probably learned from the guys who, I mean, he literally, he would he worked with, like, the guy, either Sinatra or the guy who trained Sinatra as, like, like vocal lessons, and it's like, he he knew the people who could exist like that, and it's, it's he's just not able to, yeah. like, as much as he wants to. And I think you can kind of see, like, that ennui starting to slip in, especially as he, like, moves on to more projects. At this point in time, uh, showrunners are still Henteman and Callaghan. Yeah. Um, but even they, like, you know, we haven't done the same auteurist analysis that we do of McFarland for them. But, like, right. even now, like, the show, like, it really does feel like everyone involved with the show just doesn't want to be here anymore, which creates this, <laughs> like, very strange tension. Yeah. Because when I was watching season nine... Um, when I was watching the Road to the North Pole episode, my primary thought was, this show still has ambition. Like, holy shit. Like, you know, Family Guy in its ninth season, no one takes it seriously anymore. No one ever, like, people at that point, the only people who actively enjoy the show are, like, in middle school. Um, the show could completely phone it in, but it doesn't. And now, it really, really does feel like it's just, like, yeah. phoning in. Who cares anymore? And we're only a little over halfway through the show. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say that before we go into the next part, I want to say that thankfully that sort of who cares factor does uh, create some sort of perverse fascination rather than zombie Simpsons where it's just like just taking Benadryl. You still have those weird fucked up jokes to at least give you at least a few moments every every episode at least to be memorable. Yeah. Even if the individual episodes aren't, there are moments in the season that you will remember, even if they're not good or bad. Do you all have anything else to add to the season? It's just kind of a depressing one. <laughs> not really. It's just kind. It's it's just kind of there. Yeah. Except for the episodes that we're gonna get into in the back half, which are like the only ones that actually have stuff to dig into. Have I the think. opposite problem. It, it yeah. does have some good jokes, but if if like I guess this is you know, and, and don't mean to pretend just, but like sort of the objective way. Like I think there's a lot to like about this season, but this is a very very uneven season. Yeah. All right, we're gonna take a quick break, and then we're gonna head into oh boy the. Big three. It seems today that all you see is violence in movies and sex on TV. But where are those good old-fashioned values on which we used to rely? Lucky there's a family now. Lucky there's a man who positively can do all the things that make us laugh and cry. And we're back. So we're going to go with uh, Felix's episode, the one that he uh, loves so dearly, Streams of Silence, the story of Brenda Q. So I'm going to give a little background for why I love this episode. 
There was this account my friend found. I have this friend I've known him for many years online. He's just sort of an expert at finding like the, the strangest subcultures and accounts on Twitter. He's sort of a genius in that. And he found this guy who just ran like polls, like just Twitter polls, and they would be like, "Who's more evil, Jeffrey Fekelman or Stephen Paddock?" <laughs> 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 Never, that's awesome. We obviously, like this guy, this guy was just like he's just a dude. Like we never harassed him. We just right. like thought right. his. He's like, like a wild animal. Exactly. Yeah. Like we never tapped the glass. It was just like what an interesting, what an amazing mind. Like a guy who is utterly petrified of Family Guy villains. Like what? A, what? Yeah. A, and, and like also obsessed with Stephen Paddock, but also Jeffrey Fiegelman. And uh, it, it caused me to get really. All of us, like a bunch of my friends, get really into the idea of Jeffrey Fiegelman as this ultimate eternal evil. Because this was just like, just seeing it, how it affected just a random guy was so interesting to me. And then watching the episode, it's actually the logical through line, the Fiegelman episode for the Trump episode, I think. Mm. Uh, How so? It's like, because yeah, it's in this weird nether region where they're trying to portray something very serious and they are trying to show the gravity of it but it's still a family guy and it's still late family guy where the mud gives out very easily and it creates this incredibly fucking weird almost depersonalizing experience it's like doing slightly too much ketamine than you want to do i feel like the way this episode handles abuse feels like the way if there was a captain planet domestic abuse yes. episode. like yes. it is it is like the most like i have this in my notes uh, this feels like an episode where a writer saw an, a domestic abuse story on TV and got mad of it. Not not that they have any personal right. experience with domestic abusers, new people who did. And that's, I think, the thing of this episode is, is just like... I, Felix, you mentioned this in a Chapa episode, I forget which one, but you, you, you talked about guys online who get really passionate about, about cancer... Yeah. This feels like the same way, but for domestic abuse, it feels like, yeah. man, yeah. abusers are awful, aren't they, guys? But also, like, what about the abusees who don't stand up for themselves, too? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the same thing with cancer, where it's like, if I got cancer, I would fight it. All the people yeah. who died to prove cancer, no disrespect to them, but they didn't fight it. They were weak. <laughs> Or well, if Jeffrey Fiegelman came to my house, I'd kick his ass. Yeah, I would kill yeah. Jeffrey yeah, Fiegelman. It's, it's, <laughs> it feels like it was written by one of those guys who, like, is, like, in the Yahoo comments section when, uh, like, there's an article that's, like, a uh, child molester arrested, then all the comments right. are, like, I would, oh, I would tear him apart. <laughs> I would tear him apart limb from limb and then tactically insert a grenade into his rectum. And that, like, just shit like that. Yeah. Um, Ooh, I would put him on a uh, cross and burn it, but not in a racist way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We want. I want to do a quick plot summary. So basically, uh, there was sort of an offhanded joke in Jerome's New Black, uh, where Quagmire's sister is like pretty brutally beaten by her boyfriend, and they have him come back because Quagmire gets sent to the hospital for autoerotic asphyxiation. And after kind of witnessing how, like, brutally he beats his girlfriend and how the girlfriend's, like, unwilling to do about it. And, by the way, the girlfriend's voiced by Dee from Always Sunny. She does a good job. It's yeah, weird. no. Oh my God. Yeah. But, anyways, it's kind of a weird get, Caitlin Olsen. But, anyways, the three, the gang basically decide that they're going to kill Jeffrey Fiegelman on a hunting expedition. 
And then they try to do so, but Jeff gets the upper hand and uh, takes Quagmire out into the woods, chokes him. But Quagmire, because he chokes himself every day, manages to kill Jeffrey Fiekelman. By running a car into him. Yeah. Yeah. So... Oh, and then, and then we got to talk about the Brenda letter thing. Right. Um, and, then, yeah. and then they fake a letter uh, at the end, or Joe mostly fakes a letter from the now dead Jeffrey Fiegelman, basically saying, like, I left because, uh, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't be a good father to our unborn son, but if, you know, you tell anyone and get, you know, your brother and his friends arrested, like, I'll kill you. Uh, yeah. No. I, um, I, if this was 2015 and I was like more prone to getting into trouble, I would just post clips from this episode on Twitter and be like, this yeah. is what prison abolition is. Oh my this God. is the system we want to replace bit, it but... with. <laughs> we we, yeah. we might have to do that. Well, if anyone is like, you know, 24 now and likes getting yelled at. I mean, we're all, uh, we're all like, what, 21, 22? Yeah, yeah, if you guys want to get yeah. yelled at. I got something. I'm more than anything. No one yells at me. Yeah. I'm I'm too good at getting yelled at. You're a professional at it, Spencer. But, okay, so this is unrelated completely to everything. One thing I noticed about this episode, there's, like, a, a, a recurring plot device of autoerotica, uh, autoerotic just... Uh, Asphyxiation. Shirk jo- joking. Shirk yeah. joking. I am genuinely shocked... And I don't know if they thought it was too soon or whatever, that there is not one David Carradine joke in this episode, because you think that would be the easiest thing to do. Did he die jerking off? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel like the only reason there isn't a David Carradine joke is, like, probably, like, Seth MacFarlane, if he had that much input on this episode, it was, like, he was one of the great masters of Hollywood. Some weird shit (laughs) like that. Plus, it was only three years, so maybe it was still too yeah. soon. But it's like, if this episode was made today, there would be a David Carradine joke. I also want to say about the two-suit thing, I literally just re- uh, learned this by browsing with the writer's page, but uh, apparently in March 2011, after the Tohoku earthquake, the writer Alex Sulkin posted, if you want to feel better about this earthquake in Japan, Google Pearl Harbor death toll. Ooh, so, good one. Okay, oh, Alex, no, so yeah, this is an Alex Sulkin episode, and Alex Sulkin's a very interesting cultural figure to me, because he was like, do you remember, I think you guys are probably too young for this, but Twitter in 2011 or 2012? No, it was not at all. Domi- it was dominated by, like, Family Guy writers and shit. And, like, there was this hmm. awful woman named Jenny Johnson I five. Oh, <laughs> just to give you an insight into what the culture of Twitter was at the time, it was still liberal, but it was like, okay, Jenny Johnson I five was this woman from Houston who was married to an oil executive, who oh, would like, <laughs> fucking fine. just like all her jokes were about how we need to like kill Chris Brown. That's <laughs> like that's like what it was like. You know those Michael Ian Black jokes from back then that were like. I, I just I just raped a black guy happy fourth of July <laughs> like that's what it was like uh, Spencer when you brought up the uh, Japanese tsunami thing I instead thought you were going to make a comparison of like wow look how much the better the Japanese are behaving about this than say the New Orleans did after Katrina oh, of course not that's oh, right which was equally fucked up, but I'm not sure if that would have been better. No, they're liberals, um, so they were against the response to Katrina, but they still hate the Japanese for Pearl Harbor. Yeah. yeah. And this was also still, like, it was, you got another two years before Bush starts getting rehabilitated. Yeah, um, yeah this was, like, in the, in the golden era of Obama. Two more things I want to add about Screams of Silence is that, the first thing is, is that uh, I, I, like, 
praised my friends for this episode. Like, this is, like, might be, like, the most offensive episode of the show. Just no, be- it's not. not I, think tr- I think no. Trump is. Really? Mm. I would argue that the one that we're talking about later is. Um, yeah. 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 Um, but I, I, I was surprised that there are some actually really funny jokes in this episode. Like, my friends and I, like, when they have the big intervention for Brenda... And then Felix just says, so you like getting beaten up? We'll have a whole carton of cigarettes. Like, all of us just completely lost it. It's it's not an unfunny episode. It's just very tone deaf on how it handles yeah. the subject matter. Yeah, there there are a few decent cutaways of this. It, it's, yeah. I mean, yeah. even the joke where, like, they, I, and this is a dumb addition, but even the joke where they uh, reveal that his name is Jeffrey Fiegelman, like, the delivery on it is perfect, where he's just like, she can't marry that bastard. He's just going to keep beating her, and then he's going to beat the kid, too. God, I wish she'd never met Jeffrey Fiekelman. You know, I was thinking, wait, what? What? That's his name? Yeah. Hilarious. But, you know, I was thinking this afternoon. Like, it's well, like, it, it, in terms of, like, the actual joke writing, like, yeah, it's, it's a good episode. It's just the idea of, like, they could not strike that balance between, like, actually talking about abuse and making it, like, not, you know, a Law & Order episode. Yeah. yeah. I just want to say that I liked, this goes up to the, the poll guy Felix was mentioning, but I really like to imagine that there's some guy who watched this, like, when it came out and was like, man, that was really fucking deep. That was really Absol- fucking heavy. There absolutely was. There I are. Mean, like, yeah. there, there absolutely was. Like, I, 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 you know, I wish you guys were running, like, an academic, uh, some sort of academic research project. So you could get grant money to interview random Family Guy fans. We could try. Because I think, yeah. like, the average yeah. person who watches Family Guy, they would be into this. They're Damn, the very chicken, into show, chicken Show talked about abuse? What the fuck? I, I, I also think it, it's way better than what nowadays of just, like, fucking Marvel and Harry Potter and young, and YA fiction stands. I, I, I want to... Okay, we got to go to Seahorse Seashell Party. Um, <sighs> oh, boy. So... Oh God. Okay, what... I know this This is like we try to have fun on this podcast, but like this is just a really awful episode yeah. to talk about. From bo- both plots, which is amazing. Hold on, we'll talk about this episode, Matt. But the first thing is, I, we've seen a lot of Family Guy. You know, the, the three main hosts here. You know, we've watched a lot. In all ten, se- well, nine and a half seasons of Family Guy that we have watched on here, this was the first time I watched an episode of Family Guy and felt genuinely upset. Yeah, I felt nauseous that. during this. Are you kidding me? This is one of the worst episodes of television I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, let's do a plot summary. Um, Spencer, you want to do it or should I? All right. I'll, I'll do it. So, there's two threads. Um, basically, the first one is, so there's a hurricane. This was part of a big animation domination crossover yeah. on Fox. This and American Dad and Cleveland Show. Yeah, I'll add hurricane episodes. I've seen the American Dad episode. It's, it's all right. I have no idea what the, uh, the Cleveland Show episode is about. So, basically, they all have to find ways to pass the time because the power's out. The first one, and this this section is actually pretty decent, um, Brian takes mushrooms and trips. And, uh, it kind of, it, for one, it lets the show do, like, really trippy, like, like early Disney Visuals, or, like, yeah. almost Newgroundsy kind of animation where, like, P, like, Brian enters this weird hell. Yeah. Like, like a like a gritty reboot of Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. Um, there's also a good instance where uh, he just, like, is in the bathroom and just tells Stewie, I'm gonna cut my ear off to prevent World War II. Which does actually feel like something someone would say while tripping. 
Uh, the other one, though, and this is where the show gets, like, really, really bad, is yeah. Meg, like, you know, we've talked about it a lot that the show mistreats Meg a lot. Yeah, that's, like, the joke of her character. That's yeah. the joke of her character. No one likes her. Everyone mistreats her. Everyone is awful to her. This episode, she finally, like, stands up for herself. Like, she finally, like, pretty brutally dresses down Chris, Lois, and Peter. And it kind of makes the family disintegrate. She then kind of talks about it with Brian, and she realizes that the only way the family can function is that if they have a lightning rod for abuse. Yeah. Um, so she apologizes to the family insincerely and lets them continue abusing her so the family can function as normal. Which is, I mean, on the one hand, it is a, you know, they're trying to justify their treatment of Meg in terms of like, you know, oh, well, it kind of, you know, it, it's destined to be this. But on the other hand, it is literally like saying in no uncertain terms, if you, if an abuse victim standing up for themselves, you know, causes strife in the family, it is better for them to shut up and take it, which is yeah. tr truly one of the most disgusting things you can say about an abuse victim. It's also worth noting, in production order, this is right before the Jeffrey Fiegelman episode. Yeah. They are back-to-back. -back. Which is a one-two punch that most viewers would not enjoy. Part of the reason, I think one of the things that re like this episode pissed me off so much is because there were actually really good things in this that dragged the episode down. You know, th this was a normal Family Guy episode that had, you know, the opening. You had the opening segment, you had standard cutaways, and you had that great Brian asset sequence, which is a really fun bit of animation, really fun. But those don't fit in this episode, and this episode clearly does not... E even if it, like, resolves, like, the resolution of the Meg plot was well executed, this episode does it so bad that it wouldn't work anyway. And that's, I think, the thing is, this should have been handled like Brian and Stewie. You dedicate the full 24 minutes to that Meg plot, even if it's awful, and it is. But at least then it would be a coherent thing and not a complete mess. Yeah, I think I think the big, yeah, and we, we've brought it up even on this episode, the big problem of, like, they are not willing to risk breaking that sitcom structure and, like, that kind of... They are not willing to, like they did in Brian and Stewie, like, force the audience to engage with their plot on an, or their show on a serious level, and as a result, nothing works. This feels like a 40-minute episode that got cut down to half length. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned it before, but I, when I said I was hoping that the show would take, like, a darker direction... Right. This almost gets there, but falls short, which ends up okay. being catastrophic. I think that, okay, Meg finally confronting the family. Good concept for an episode. I, I don't know if this is where you're going with this, but, like, I think this, like, Meg accepting herself as the lightning bolt for all the family's problems would have worked if they actually committed to it and made it, like, a dark, like, what-if ending. Like, you know, Ty, we've... We talked about, like, is that the joke a lot of time? This episode, I don't think that was the joke I, of, like, no, they were genuinely like, yeah, this works as a happy ending, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. This might come off as too scoldy. I, I legitimately think that, like, the mistreating Meg thing as a const or as, like, a comedic conceit only works if you don't draw attention to it. I think that once yes. you try to bring it into, like, a semi-real place, the entire thing falls apart because you are, I mean, really, like, if you're trying to bring it into a real place, this is, like, pretty terrible child abuse and like that uh, yeah you are really mm. forcing the viewer like there's this mention of disbelief of like oh you know this would not fuck up this child like you are completely demolishing that and i think that you really can't come back from that 
I guess I guess what I'm saying is I I think the episode would have ended better if it at least acknowledged that like it was a dark horrible fucked up ending instead of a happy yeah. one. Yeah. I, I I really think it was doomed from the start just from my own. Oh yeah, I agree yeah. with that. I'm just saying like like even if like if the episode was 24 minutes of that meg plot, it would have wouldn't have been good, obviously, but it would have at least been a coherent thing and not a giant mess of an episode. I can see that. So what I was about to say is that I agree with Andy that the resolution of Meg willingly sacrificing herself to, like, let the family abuse her, I'm not opposed to that on principle because I think it does have, like, there. it's genuinely dark and a lot of the times it could mirror the way, like, people who are abused kind of compartmentalize it and justify right. it. The issue is, is that this show is nowhere near as smart as it needs to be to do that. Right. Uh, when I brought up Moral Oral, Dino Stamatopoulos is a really smart writer who has a really careful understanding of, you know, abuse. And Wellesley the Wild, um, just, not you know, much. the guy who wrote yeah. Petarded is not the not the yeah. man to do this. It, oh, my God. It was that yeah, dude. Oh, no. I, I don't know. And it might, whatever. I'm, I think, more scoldy than the rest of you guys. But it, to me, I don't know. To, no, this episode me, deserves to be fucking scoldy. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I, I just, I think that, yeah, you have to be extremely careful if you were touching this. Or, like, I mean, even and not even from, like, a perspective of, like, you know, oh, you know, you're going to make the world worse if you make this joke. But, like, in the terms of, like, you probably have a lot of viewers who, like, like, this experience mirrored in their own lives. You know, you're a mainstream show that a lot of teenagers are watching and kind of giving the impression that it is a noble thing for teenagers to suck up abuse in terms of like making sure that their parents don't get upset is is truly a despicable thing you know mm. i i just had a, a thought in my head of a way they could have tried to fix this episode very haphazardly and i'm wondering if you think this would be significantly worse or like a little better what if they fucking were like like after the resolution, it, it hard cut to Brian waking up and Stewie being like, "Man, you you sure you sure had a had a rough time after like the 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 weed high or what? Like if they fucking went, it was all a dream the whole time." Yeah, I don't know if that would be. Do you think that would like that was just a thought of like that was something they could have technically done because they technically could have set it up with the the acid shrooms and Brian falling into a coma after the ear thing. I think that would have softened it. I. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it might have it might have made it more palatable for people. I mean, like, I feel like the genesis for this episode was like Alex Sulkin watching the war or something similar. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I just I don't know. I I mean, it is like it digests very poorly yeah, though. For no sure. matter what, I don't know. Like, I'm trying to trying to get inside the head of Sulkin and everyone else. Uh, or no, he didn't write this one. No, I'm sorry, was, I got I got, I got this mixed yeah. up with uh, the Fecalman Chronicles. But uh, <laughs> it's, I mean, I think that the point they were trying to make is it was just like a very from from the get go. The point they were trying to make was like a very like boring like abuse is bad thing, right? But because it went through the brain of a Family Guy writer, like this is what we got, right. yeah. Um, and I don't know. I think that they. In my mind, I think they thought they were doing something poignant. Yes. Oh, I mean, that's yeah. not in question. Yeah, they thought this was a big... Yeah. We mentioned yeah. that, like, um, that Fecalman felt like a Captain Planet. I mentioned that it felt like a Captain Planet episode. And I think it's because the reason why it didn't feel as bad is because at least that stock, like, 
awful take on domestic abuse. Like, this episode is trying harder and failing so yeah, much worse. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. And also, we are not expected to sympathize with Jeffrey Fiekelman. But, like, no? yeah. we, we are expected to sympathize with everyone in the Griffin family who isn't Meg, even after Meg, you know, brings up these pretty cogent and i think you know easily observable points of like how how awful they are to her and like like in in very human terms and then we're expected to just kind of let it go and we like if jeffrey vegan came back and he's like a priest now like i think that would put a sour taste in people's mouth you know mm-hmm. yeah i don't know i just hate this episode fuck this episode it's a terrible episode yeah it's so bad i wanted to end this on a lighter note with um thanksgiving yeah. Uh, which was the other other kind of high concept episode yeah. they did this. It's this a very half special season. episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. So before we get even to the plot summary, I want to say that this episode is the one that was brought to my attention. I mean, I'd seen it before. I think I saw it when it was first on TV, but um, it has a special place in my heart because. I'm forgetting his name, but one of my favorite YouTube videos of all time, since deleted, oh, was a yeah. guy reacting to this episode in his car and commentating on it. And so it sad. Is that a- <laughs> I love that. I love that. That is so funny. It is like I remember. I saw that. Like my, I was like we were watch looking for like Family Guy reaction videos with my friends. And my friend found this, and we watched it, and I'm like, the world needs to see this. Oh, um, and you've posted it so many video. times. It's one of the greatest things you've ever his, done. His line where he just, like... Just put it I, in the episode. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, if just, you can find it, I'll throw it in. Yeah, he is just enthralled with Family Guy. Like, he, there is such wonder in his voice. I God envy bless him. him. Yeah, I, if he's somehow listening to this show, please let us know. We will have you on. I wish I were in a position to be, like, astounded by Family Guy. Like, that is my yeah. dream life. Yeah, he is, he just, that guy is yeah. living in, like, the highest plane of existence. He understands Family Guy on a level we never will. <laughs> but Thanksgiving, the plot of the episode is basically that, you know, everyone's having dinner. What is it? You know, Thanksgiving dinner. Joe and Bonnie are sad because Kevin's dead. Their son is dead. He was, like, kind of written out of the show. But then he comes back, and he kind of narrates his story about, what is it, entering a coma for a couple of years uh, after... Because uh, a, a bomb that hit his squad in Iraq, where he was stationed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but then as the time goes on, it reveals that he actually learned that he didn't support the Iraq war, so he went, like, AWOL for a couple of years before returning. And Joe arrests him, but his... Ida, uh, Quagmire's trans mom or dad, however, yeah. if you're using the show's parlance. Yeah. Kevin uh, sort of gives Joe this big speech like, this one time you didn't arrest this homeless guy, so therefore uh, I did what was right, uh, so you shouldn't arrest me. And then uh, Joe's like, damn, you got me. So he lets him go. Wish that could work with cops in real life. Yeah. Then the episode ends with um, another person saying, wait, that's not the real Kevin. And then Peter says, we don't really have time for this. And then it's just over. Hey, happy Thanksgiving to us all, huh? Wait, that man's an imposter. I'm the real Kevin Swanson. Guys, I don't think we have time for this. So in the first half of the episode, I I mentioned like, you know, a, a lot of, like, joke writing being strong this season, but, like, episode structure bad. This is the main episode I think of when I think of that, because, like, I think there are a lot of really good little jokes in this episode, and, like, this episode does not work as well. 
um, as, as we'll explain for multitude of reasons, but, like, there's a lot of good Adam West in this episode, and I can never complain about that. Um, what'd you guys think of it? I thought it was fine. I mean, I, I think that it was trying less to make a point than the other two episodes, which is, a you know, in its favor. Um, I, I don't have too, too many thoughts about it, except for, uh, Ida Quagmire's, oh, uh, yeah. Quite this is technically tramp. the first episode we talked about with her, so... Yeah, if you... I mean, unless you listen to the bonus episodes that we are... Might be up on the Patreon by the time this comes out. But uh, part of it is that, you know, Brian turns to her kind of hoping that she'll back him up in supporting Kevin for uh, running away from, you know, the or going AWOL and leaving his squad after he survived. Uh, and she kind of goes... Because she used to be in the, in the Navy, and she says, you know, no... I really don't agree with that. You know, I, I think that he had a duty to uh, to, to his fellow sh- soldiers and to his country and everything. And I, I think that he betrayed his duty. And I realized that uh, Ida Davis is actually just Charlotte Clymer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I, I, I wanted to say, um, I was watching this episode with friends and, like, you know, the Quagmire's dad episode, that one right. is very standard, like, trans-panic transphobia. Yeah. It's just the normal, like... There are two really fucked up lines in this episode. Yeah, no, there, there's very, you know, it's very standard. My friends and I were watching this, and we were, like, kind of impressed with how creatively transphobic this episode Oh my god, gets. yeah. Like, the Stewie <laughs> calling Ida a monster. Hello, Ida. Hello, Brian. How have you been? Very well, thank you. He threw up when he found out you were a monster. Yeah. Or, or Lois saying that she can go to the bathroom in the yard. Oh my, um, maybe it's time for us girls to hit the powder room. You may use the yard. Yeah, the yeah, yard. It's, it's the yard. stuff. Like, I remember, like, when the monster line happened, we just kind of looked at each other and, like, nervously laughed. Like, like the Quagmire's, uh, dad episode. Yeah. The Quagmire's dad episode got, like, got me, you know, uh, Horny for they, them pussy? Uh... <laughs> No, I yeah, mean, and... no, but it got me genuinely upset. What I was trying to say, and um, it is it is astounding that that is the most sympathetic that they ever treat Ida. Yeah, it, it got me genuinely upset because of how cruel and awful it is. Right. Where uh, and how like it kind of reinforces like these really horrible beliefs. Where this episode is like more transphobic, but it's like in a way that's like really. In, like it's they put thought into it they did not pull like they didn't go lazy with the transphobia yeah it's it's not it's not oh ida's a man it's oh ida is you know an untouchable yeah it's it's very like i i was almost kind of able to like impressively appreciate it in the way you can appreciate like really 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 racist 50s songs that are just right. like you you really thought this through man congrats <laughs> I feel like if this episode was made maybe like 10, 20 years earlier, there would have been a joke, just like a Vietnam like vet horror story joke where Brian just looks at Ida and immediately goes, okay, but you were also a baby killer or something like that. But no, no, I, liberalism is, we've, has been too indoctrinated by protect to respect the troops. We can't, we can't yeah. make those anymore. Felix, you and, you and Seamus are our resident um middle east correspondence i think and i was gonna ask what you thought of like the iraq war stuff in this episode if you have any thoughts about it um i like it is i thought the thing about um him making friends with the iraqis was interesting it is like 
What this was 2011, right? Yeah. Uh, 2011, 2012. Probably produced yes. in like 2012, 2011, or 2010, 2011. Yeah. Yeah, it does show like a rock going into the background of liberals' minds right. after Bush. It does, it, it, and it does like I don't know the both sides this of it being implied that it's kind of bad to abandon your unit, right? Like from like like I thought. Okay, my re- my re- my reading of Quagmire's dad, the point of her scene, or Quagmire's mom, the point of her scene was that. It was McFarlane trying to say, like, see, trans people can serve our country, too. Yes. <laughs> like, that's how I read that. No, that's yeah, what scans yeah. me. Uh, totally. Like, a very Obama-era thing. But I, I, I think it's, like, it's less it's less interesting in how McFarlane or the Family Guy writers, they themselves see Iraq. And it's more interesting is just, like, a shi- the shifting the shifting lens through which liberals saw Iraq after right. Obama was inaugurated. Yeah, we're just like, uh, hey, it just like it went from being this great crime, uh, accurately described yeah. for like sort of more edgy liberals to like, hey, isn't it this like weird constant thing that we're gonna have forever? Isn't yeah. it weird? Isn't it weird that we have this? Yeah, yeah. I, I also think there were some fucking, like, background stuff that I noticed that maybe they didn't write it intentionally, but felt like maybe subconsciously of, like, okay, so you have to you have to make a joke to, to get across the point that Kevin feels bad about the fact that, like, fucking civilians are being killed by Americans in Iraq. Uh, or, yeah. like, even though the character admits the war is wrong... The, the bomb that set up and killed off his entire crew was still set up by Muslims doing a, a trick bombing, putting a, a cell phone bomb to a, a Thanksgiving dinner instead of just, like, a, an unhonorable attack in a sort of way. It felt, like, very much like... You're right, that's how foreigners kill people. Yeah, exactly. And I'm pretty sure that was, like, a purely subconscious thing about the writers. It wasn't, like, a like a disgust thing. It was right, just, like, no, of course. No. I, I also felt the same way about, like, the Joe Homeless guy. They go, like, oh, man, yeah, no, like, if you, you know, you have to be starving and, like, completely, like, this this homeless dude with a family to, to justify stealing, like, a loaf of bread from the grocery store or some shit. Like, it's it's very mm-hmm. much that mindset. Also, it, it is kind of funny to assume, like, a cop would refrain from arresting that guy. Also, like, yes. Especially given yeah. the context that we're watching it in now. The most unrealistic thing ever portrayed in Family Guy, kind of. <laughs> Looking forward yeah. to season nineteen when they whenever they cover the police protests. Yeah. Oh my god! Is there's not a Family Guy Ferguson episode? No, I don't right? think so. No. I don't okay, think good. so. Okay, so good. maybe there won't be, but there will be a Family Guy COVID episode. The Brawl. Yeah, yeah no, been, We have been presaging that for a while. <laughs> they have the uh, they have the uh, the mention that like you know the sort of uh, racism anti racism cognitive dissonance in their show. They kind of do that with cops also, where like. Even as far back as, like, season three, there's jokes about how cops just brutalize minorities. But they have the good cop. You know, they still, like, yeah. keep Joe around, and they still have him be a sympathetic character. And they, like, have that episode um, this season where uh, we didn't talk about it, but Cool Hand Peter, where they have, like, they make it, like, a a geographical thing almost with cops. Like, right. yes, yeah, southern cops are the evil ones. Where, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to briefly talk about Cool Hand Peter because something I've noticed that always bothers me when I watch that episode of like, okay, 
So, like, you know, there's the, the corrupt sheriff that, like, arrests Joe and Quagmire for doing nothing wrong and traveling through the South. And then, like, they, they get trapped in prison and, like, a warden lies and just keeps them in there forever. The, the fucked up thing I've noticed is that, like, they just leave that behind and, like, everyone else is in, in the prison that you see is apparently just, yeah, that, that, that. Everyone else is just trapped at a prison camp forever, and they're just not going to mention it. Also, it's kind of funny. It's kind of funny to think that if escaping was that easy, like they were the first ones to try it. Do we have anything else we want to say about the episode? Patrick Stewart was in this episode, and he's always delightful. Yeah, as the voice of Susan. Patrick, yeah, Patrick Stewart. It's a very funny. It's a very funny running gag. Patrick Stewart's up there. Is up there with Adam West as some of those people who's just always a delight to show up on the show. Looking yeah. forward to him and American yeah. Dad for that reason. Patrick Stewart is, he's one of the best guest comedic actors. He could, I mean, yeah. he is responsible for the funniest scene in Extras. Mm. And Extras being the last r- good Ricky Gervais product, in my opinion. So in my film, I play a man who controls the world with his mind. Right. That's interesting. Yeah, for instance, um, I'm walking along. And um, I see this beautiful girl, and I think I'd like to see her naked, and so all her clothes fall off. All her clothes fall off? Mm, yes, and she's scrabbling around to get them back on again, but even before she can get her knickers on, I've seen everything. You know, I've seen it all. Okay. It's a comedy, is it? No. It's about what would happen, you know, if these things were possible. What's the story, though? What's the... Well, uh, I do other stuff, like I'm riding my bike in the park. And this policewoman says, Oi, you can't ride your bike on the grass. And I go, oh, no. And her uniform falls off. And she goes, ah! And she's trying to cover up. But I've seen everything. Anyway, and I get on my bike, I ride off. I also like Patrick Stewart uh, is also part of a a great classical trend in with European actors that I think is kind of exemplified with... uh, Christopher Lee of like these these highly trained like genuinely amazing British actors just coming over and being in like absolutely the most mediocre Garbage. American trash yeah. and ap- and elevating all of their roles. It's it's yeah. a long tradition. And seemingly loving yeah. it. Yeah, no, yeah. it's always delightful. Having a great time. Yeah, I, like, I like, mentioned. This. I love it. He's a recurring part on American Dad. I, I mentioned this previously, but I always still love the mental image of Patrick Stewart watching Family Guy episodes by himself and just like having a great time. <laughs> Yeah, just uh, that, that deep laugh. Ha 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 ha! Yeah, laughing at cutaways. Yeah. Every time Patrick Stewart is on the show, I go into my, my mind palace and I imagine him and Seth sitting at a diner, like just talking to each other and laughing. Yeah. It's yeah. really pleasant. Yeah. Talking about liberal bullshit. That yeah. would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Patrick Stewart is one of those very few, like, epic Reddit guys who was, like, actually really good. Like, yeah. yeah, no, I love it. I like, he's not, Bill Murray sucks. Patrick yeah. Stewart, awesome. I don't even like Patrick Star Stewart Trek. Kills. I've never watched fucking more than two episodes of star trek but patrick stewart rocks yeah patrick stewart rocks he's not like you know bill murray or nikola tesla or whatever just like an just shitty person for awful people he's just a cool guy yeah i think that's gonna about do it for the season uh felix uh thank you so much for putting up with these 12 episodes <laughs> this was thank you for cool. cutting my my workload yeah. <laughs> you're welcome for not having to do 11 more. Um, thank you. <laughs> you're, you're our... Yeah, if you ever want to come again, again, this was amazing. Thank you. We'll be doing other shows in the future. Cleveland Show, American Dad, eventually South Park. Maybe if Spencer puts us, chains us to a chair, we'll do Big Bang Theory. You're always welcome to come back. Um, yeah. I, absolutely. Wonderful time having you here. You're our uh, highest profile guest, so you get the most bargaining rights with seasons. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
I'm labor. I'm labor aristocracy. Yeah, no. Thank you so much for coming on, folks. Quick thing before we leave, it'll probably still be up uh, when we air this episode in two weeks, but we'll cut it if it's not. Um, and a more serious note, friend of the show, musician for the show, and my lovely partner Angie is currently running a fundraiser for their mother. Her mother basically needs pretty serious medical care, um, and it's very expensive. And we're trying to help get the money, the money they need for their mom. It'll leave it in the description if it's still up, but uh, anything, including like, you know, like $5 or anything would be an immense help. Yeah, if you can, if you can give to that at all, that would yeah. be very, very kind of you. Andy, Ty, do you have anything else to add? Not really. Uh, thank you again. Thank you to Felix for coming on. My pleasure. Uh, hopefully by the time this is up, the bonus episode that I did with a number of very, very cool trans women about Quagmire's dad will be up. Uh, I would recommend subscribing to Patreon just for that alone. I think yeah. it's a very, very cool episode. Uh, other than that, and yeah. Thank I, you I don't listening. think we need to plug Chavo Trap House for our viewers. No. Uh, hey, hey, you right. guys ever? Everyone, everyone yeah. who listens to this Do you have any... Random podcasts from your less successful friends you want us to plug, Felix? I wouldn't say less successful. I would say they started after me. But as always, episode one, uh, Street Fight. One of the best um, newer shows, like newer shows, uh, as in made in the last year uh, that I'm currently not on, is a podcast about yes. List. I think everyone should listen oh, to. Oh, we are big yeah. fans of podcasts no, about this. Also, I, I haven't yeah. listened to many other episodes, but the uh, episode one episode on Joe Biden, I almost had a stroke listening to. Thank you. Yeah. It was wonderful. Yeah. We we recently did uh, four weeks paid leave, our fourth cop episode. Nice. nice. <laughs> yeah, cool. so I have, I, have, I go back and listen to the YA episode, like maybe the one YA episode. episode's fucking yeah incredible. yeah no um, it's yeah. amazing. Because it's such a perfect, yeah. So listen to episode one. Podcast about this. Uh, Patrick from that show is going to be on to talk about us with the Star Wars parodies. Oh, that's going to be great. Yeah. Yeah. He also, uh, I didn't mention this, but uh, for our season seven episode, Patrick was the voice of Tom Tucker right at the beginning. Yes. Uh, For the the little newscast we did. No, but yeah, do do check out all of those podcasts. And thank you all for listening. Uh, I think we're going to sign off. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. That's all.